is John Finnemore's Souvenir Programme. So, where does you have a job in mind? Maybe I do. Well? A couple of months ago, I asked Johnny Big Mouth if he had any tip-offs. Well, he just got back to me. I'm listening. You ever hear of a little place called Mulligans? Not Mulligans Milliners. The same. You out of your mind? You can't knock over Mulligans. They're the biggest hat shop in the country. <laughs> well, maybe I want the biggest hats. <laughs> it's impossible. There's no hat shop better protected than Mulligans. There are floodlights and alarms, the security cameras are voice controlled, the hat vault itself is fingerprint protected, and inside the vault there's a wolf who hasn't been fed for five weeks and who is constantly being poked by an electronic stick to keep him annoyed. <laughs> Can't be done. I say it can. Of course, it'll need a large crew and multiple cons, but if we pull it off, think of the take. I hear Mulligans is about to take possession of this. That is a great big hat. <laughs> it sure is. Okay, I'm in. Who do we need? Well, a demolition man, obviously, a uh -huh. couple of grease boys, uh -huh. a golden retriever, two, maybe three deputy headmasters, at least one of whom can double as a dandelion clock. Uh, any wombles? No, just a couple of contrabassoonists and a Hamilton. A Hamilton? Well, yeah, obviously, we've got to have a Hamilton. You can get me a Hamilton, right? No, no, sure, I can, yeah. You do know what a Hamilton is, right? Oh, yeah, sure, of course, yeah. What is it? Is it like... A dancer? No, it's a driver. What? No. Yeah, like Lewis Hamilton. Oh, well, say Lewis then. I'd have got it from Lewis. Lewis is confusing. We already use Lewis for a strong arm man. Do we? I never heard that. Sure, from Lewis Armstrong. Oh. <laughs> Wait, it's Louis. Louis Armstrong. Oh, that's a common misconception, actually. He himself always pronounced it. Yeah, you know it. what word we could use for driver? Driver. <laughs> But what if a policeman heard us? Then he'd know that after we do the robbery, we're planning to drive away from it. <laughs> to be honest, he's probably worked that out for himself. Yes, both. Right, so let's just keep it simple, OK? OK. OK, so, the heist. How do you see it going down? OK, so you and me will prepare a flypaper combined with a jackanory. Maddie can do a Mary Poppins, then the Rafferty's can pull a sticky fishbowl, and Bob and Ronnie can finish with a That's What She Said. <laughs> Well, now you're talking sense. Uh, hello? Hi. I uh, got your leopard here. Sorry? Your leopard. Where do you want it? Well, what do you mean by leopard? You know, leopard. <laughs> Don't know how else to say it. Uh, <laughs> big spotty cat. About so long by so high. Quite cross. It's in the van. <laughs> Well, you do now. No! Yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, here we are. July 2008, Pangford Zoo. You adopted a leopard. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I adopted one. Yeah. yeah! There we go, then. You see, unfortunately, the, uh, the zoo had to close down this year, so we are returning all the adopted animals to their adopted parents. <laughs> that was just a gesture. It only cost about 50 quid. Yeah, sounds right. Yeah. Interesting thing about leopards, they're surprisingly cheap. <laughs> To buy that is obviously they're incredibly expensive to feed and care for. <laughs> That's why the zoo went bust. Now then, uh, do you want to come and lead it into the house, or shall I just let it loose into your garden? No, no, look, I don't want a leopard. Wow, you shouldn't have adopted one then, should you? <laughs> Hurry up, I've got 40 piranha fish to drop off after this. Look, I really can't take a leopard. I, I already have 
two cats. Oh, don't worry, you won't have for long. <laughs> there must be something you can do. Well, um, I suppose what I could do, if, uh, if you were to uh, renew your adoption fee here and now, I, uh, I could try and palm the leopard off on one of the piranha owners. Half the time people can't remember what animal they adopted anyway. Yes, please, <laughs> if you could. Ah, go on then. Seeing as I'm in a good mood, Terry, bring us out one of them piranhas. Here you go, lady. One piranha. Ooh. Careful with the bowl. Now we need about one and a half rats a day or a horse's leg in a week. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, even the piranhas a bit. Have you got anything smaller? Uh, well, let's see. Yeah, we've got a gorilla, wallaby. Uh, oh, there's a beetle. Oh, yes, a beetle. That's perfect. Have we got the beetle with us, Terry? Yeah. Got it right here. I'll take it. Oh, I don't know. It's the only one. Think I'd have to charge double for the beetle. Well, that's fine. Here's the money and something for yourself. Oh, very good of you. Right, give us back the piranha. Here's your beetle. Feed it on, well, I don't know, really. Beetle food. <laughs> yeah, we'll be off then. See ya. Goodbye. Thank you. <coughs> yeah, all right, Al, you can knock that off. It's paid up. Oh, good. Murder in the throat, lepers. Huh? <laughs> What's next? Ah, uh, Komodo dragon. Can you do them? Well, I'll practice. Good, you do that. Terry, go and find another beetle. <laughs> and now on Radio 4, it's time for the weather forecast, the way it sounds even when you've deliberately turned on the radio just to hear it and are desperately trying to concentrate. <laughs> Hello. Well, it's been a brisk and blustery day for most of us, with cloudy but bright weather in Ireland and the southwest, and scattered showers elsewhere. I expect you've managed to pay attention to every word of this completely useless information about the weather in the past. <laughs> but now let's see how well you do as I turn to tomorrow. Starting in Scotland in the northeast, it'll be a mostly mild outbreak at first, but with some hazy and mid-range spots of sun and sun overreaching a foggy salmon by noon. <laughs> In the east-west and south upstairs, we can expect a high horse on the landing in the late 30s. And that'll be jostled by a rude head waiter of 54 or 55 towards the mid-mid-mid-morning. Back to front, it'll be a fried egg for most of the country. With a butcher's dog unfurling a wicker hammock later, expecting twins before dropping down and giving me 20. Moving on to Ford Anglia and none of Wales hairdresser will be bringing with it some parcels of frog and suet in the late Middle Ages, with a lengthy spell in prison and brown sauce in the north. <laughs> Lastly, in King's Lynn, where you're having your wedding tomorrow, there will be thunderstorms and flash floods, but there's absolutely no way you've managed to concentrate long enough to hear about them. <laughs> you will be sown so far, far out by now that the only thing that will bring you back is my change of tone as I say the magic words back to you, Eddie. <laughs> Now gather round friends and we'll sing you a song That's terribly sad and incredibly long It tells of the leaving do we held for bed When seven poor souls were bored almost to death Twas in a grotty sports bar, though none of us like sports. We turned up in our work clothes and the whole place was in shorts. The area reserved for us was on the mezzanine. So stranded in midair beside a giant glowing screen. There was boring little Barry. There was Sue and James and Mike. 
Yolanda from reception. And that new bloke no one likes. We'd all just plan to show our face for half an hour or so. But only seven people came so nobody could go. <laughs> oh, how the terror gripped us as we saw what this would mean. We were trapped in the terrible leaving to in the terrible evening to what 2017 There wasn't any party food to fill our rumbling guts The bar was even out of crisps so all we had was nuts And not in honest packets boys but in those little tubs The cost of quid for six cashews and should be bad from pubs We tried to talk together but nobody could hear So soon we just gave up and sat there staring at our beer Yolanda from reception started playing with her Bone. And every man and woman there wished they were still at home When suddenly a stranger walked up to our mezzanine Right into the terrible leaving doom Into the terrible leaving doom Into the terrible leaving doom We don't know who that woman was We don't know why she came It's not she didn't tell us We just didn't catch her name some say she came from marketing Some say she's friends with Mike Some say she was the sister of that new bloke no one likes But Mary or Millie or Melanie or possibly Maureen Transformed the terrible leaving to Transform the terrible leaving to Transform the terrible leaving to what 2017 She told Beth she would miss her She sang a song with James She found some dice from somewhere and she got us playing games She found a pizza place that would deliver to the bar She let boring Barry tell her all about his boring car She asked if they'd switch off the screen and when they turned her down She snuck down to their fuse box and she blacked out half the town And as we ate our pizzas in the flickering candlelight We all gave thanks at Millie or Mary or Mel arrived that night for whether she came from heaven or earth or somewhere in between, she saved the terrible leaving do. She saved the terrible leaving do. Excuse me, madam, can we have a moment of your time? Oh, uh, I'm Do you bit... forget things, madam? Forget things? Names, faces. Well, we all forget things. Not all of us, madam, by no means. My associate and myself would like to demonstrate a simple but revolutionary memory system by which you can remember anything forever. Oh, I don't really... For instance, name a band. A band? Any band at all. Um. The Beatles? Perfect, perfect, very good, yes. Now, what would you say if I told you that in just three minutes' time you will be able to effortlessly remember the names of all the Beatles? Well, I Impossible? Already... Wait and see. OK, so I've, I've Googled them. Oh, here they are. John Lennon. Oh, yes. Paul McCartney. Right. George Harrison. Never heard of him. And, and Ringo Starr. Oh, yes, uh, Dingo Starr's brother. That's him. And now... <laughs> Let's make those names unforgettable. I mean, I it's do... It's all about all... creating strong mental images and then linking them together. So we start with John Lennon. John Lennon. There's Lennon. nothing there. No. It's kind of bland, colourless. No, we, so, so we play with it. We turn mm. it into something visual, something memorable. Um, like straight away, Lennon suggests lemon. Great. Lemon. Instantly more memorable. And John, who's the most famous? John, who comes straight into your head when you think of... Well, John. John Major, obviously. Yeah, obviously John Major. So... <laughs> 
So that gives us Major Lemon. Oh. Immediately we can create an image for that. And uh, now, now we need to link it with the mm. name Paul, uh, uh, what was it? McCartney. Ooh, yeah, again, that's a terrible name. Mm. No images. Let's mm. change it to Paul Memory. Why Paul Memory? Because we're trying to remember him. Oh, but you're trying to remember them all. OK, fine, we'll mm. stick with McCartney then. So, uh, where were we? Major Lemon. Major, Major Lemon. Lemon, he's always a yellow food in the army. So promote him, he becomes Colonel Mustard. Oh, hey, great, Colonel Mustard. Now, what does that give you? Uh, Colonel Mustard did it in the hall with the lead piping. Oh, OK, great. Uh, hang on to hall. Now, lead mm. piping, lead piping, uh, lead head, uh, pie, eye, uh, ping... Uh, shin, great, uh, head, eye, shin, three parts of the body. Swap them for three different parts, add the hall you carried over. What do you get? Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney! <laughs> but you, you hmm? could have picked. Now, we any... take Paul. Who's a famous Paul? Well, well, Paul Smith, obviously, the shirt, shirt guy. guy. Yes. OK, great. We've got Smith. Now, McCartney. Mm. McCarthy? Uh, McCarthy, McCarthy. General McCarthy, great. Oh, great. So we've got a Smith and a general. Now, a Smith works in a forge. A general leads a garrison. Forge, garrison, George, George Harrison. Simple as that. Uh, now, George, now that gives us a well, George and the Dragon. Great, hold that. And Harrison, obviously, Harrison Ford, Ford. Ford Mustang. Great, okay, so we've got the Dragon and Mustang. Yeah. Uh, Sounds a bit like an English pub. Oh, uh, okay, great, because in Mexico, an English pub is a. Gringo bar? Gringo, Gringo star. <laughs> and now, without any effort using just simple visual imagery, you'll always remember the names of the Beatles. And not only that, it works just as well backwards. Yes, because if you start with Ringo Starr... Straight away you think of Gringo Bar. Which is an English pub, like... Uh, 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 the Cat and the Fiddle. That's right. Uh, so the cat gives us Sylvester the cat. Great, yeah, and fiddle. Well, fiddle means to fake, to forge. To forge. If you forge something, it's not the real McCoy. Sylvester, Sylvester McCoy! McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvester, uh, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky, Rocky Mountain High, Mountain Goat, High on a Hill, Little Lonely Goat Herd, For a Herd. Three of them. What was the last one? Uh, three parts of the body. Tony Hart. It really is simple as that. From now on, you'll always be able to effortlessly recall that the Beatles were Ringo Starr, Sylvester McCoy, For a Herd, and Tony Hart. <laughs> Oh, yes, I mean, I admit, I didn't know that. Well, so, how much do you want for this technique? Oh, uh, well, uh, no one's ever asked us that. I, well, I mean, we've told you it now. Yeah, uh, sorry, I don't know. Give, Give us, us a, a quid. quid. Great. Thanks. Oh, good morning, sir. Good morning. I'd like to commission a cake for my sister's birthday. Oh, certainly, sir. What did you have in mind? Oh, well, my sister loves cakes, and what she particularly likes are those cakes that look like other things. Uh, do you do that here? Oh, yes, we can make a cake look like almost anything. Footballs, books, teapots, you name it. Oh, good. Uh, what sort of thing would your sister like? Well, as I say, her real passion is cakes. So... <laughs> so what I would like is for you to bake a cake in the shape of a cake. <laughs> In the shape of a cake? Yes. <laughs> right. Uh, a cake that looks like a cake? Precisely. Wouldn't that just be a cake? No, 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 no. I, uh, I could buy a cake off the shelf. No. <laughs> I want you to specially bake and ice a cake in such a way that it cunningly resembles a cake. But isn't actually a cake? No, no, it is a cake. Right. Just not the cake it looks like. <laughs> I see. So, like, maybe a giant cupcake? No, no, not a giant cupcake. I just want a normal cake in the shape of another normal cake. Right, so you want a cake 
that is in itself a cake, but has been made in the shape of a different cake. <laughs> exactly. So when my sister sees it, she'll say, oh, lovely, a cake. And it looks like a cake. <laughs> but not, not the same cake. On no account. All right. Well, as it happens, I think we have the very thing already in stock. Yes, here we are. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> I don't understand. This is a Christmas cake. No, 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 sir. This is a fruit cake covered with marzipan and icing and decorated with holly and her sugar for the Christmas. But when presented to your sister on her birthday, it becomes a birthday cake in the shape of a Christmas cake. <laughs> Clever of you. No, no, not at all, sir. As it happens, you got rather lucky. This sort of thing is our speciality. Oh, <laughs> oh excuse me. Do you mind if I get oh, this? By all means. Hello, Wittgenstein's patisserie. <laughs> Welcome to the interview sketch. My name is Patsy Straightwoman. In private life, I'm actually very funny. <laughs> I'm joined today by Dr. David Channing, lecturer in applied linguistics at Lancaster University. David, welcome to the sketch. Hmm. Can you tell us a bit about what you're working on? Uh, so, for the last year, I've been researching the recent shift in preliminary phatic speech markers among high authority communicators. And what does that mean in layman's terms? So, basically, I'm trying to work out why experts in interviews now start all their answers with, so. <laughs> I see. And what's the answer? So, it gives the expert time to think, of course, but it can also certainly imply that the question is absurdly simplistic and there's a whole load of background information that needs to be set out before they can even attempt to answer it. I see. But why has it suddenly started happening now? So, this is nothing new. People have always started explanations with a little throat-clearing word. Once it was look or now, for decades it's been well, now it seems so is overtaking it. And how does this change happen? So, generally, <laughs> it takes an influential innovator to start doing it, and then they bring imitators along behind them. Can you give me a visual metaphor for that? So, a needle-pulling thread. Go away! <laughs> and now, on Radio 4, you've disastrously mistaken which day of the week Ed Reardon's on. <laughs> Which means, I'm afraid, it's time to accidentally hear some of John Finnamore's souvenir programme. It's John Finnamore's cosy, warm bath of gentle whimsy! Ding, ding! Good morning, sir. Good morning. I'm looking for a shop sketch. You're in luck, sir. We're one of the last shows in the world that still stock them. What size? Regular, please. Completely regular and normal in every way. Goodbye. Goodbye. I'm a wombat. I'm also a wombat. <laughs> Imagine if we could talk. What silly voices we might have. Yeah. And wouldn't our way of looking at the world be amusing? For a while, yes. For four and a half minutes? <laughs> Let's hope so. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> this song has weak lyrics and only one laugh, but we'll stick in your head for a week and a half. A week and a half. somehow breaking the fourth wall or something. This is revolutionary. Mmm. <laughs> anyway, I was just wondering, are you worried that by attempting to parody your own show, you're reaching depths of self-indulgence that could be actually fatal? <laughs> no, 
I'm still a wombat. Oh, you thought it's a runner. Goodbye. Do, do, be, do, do, do. Well, since you asked me for a long, shaggy dog play, at the end, full of puns and silly voices, I believe round the horn is being repeated on four extra. <laughs> Good night. That was John Finnamore's souvenir programme starring him and his mates. How cosy. It was a by the numbers production for the BBC. <laughs> Putting a line in after the credits doesn't make you hitchhikers. <laughs> you ask me a rather abrupt, but on the other hand, pleasingly melodious question, I believe this story will furnish you with the answer. It all began when I was working as head of security in the most famous hat shop in the land. (laughs) Mulligan's Millions. One morning, I was called in for a private conference with Mrs. Mulligan herself. Ah, Fenimore. She said, glancing up from the trilby she was crocheting. between you and I, Fenimore, but Mulligan's is about to play host to the most valuable hat ever made. Not the Imperial State Crown. That's right. Not <laughs> For I refer, of course, to the cuckoo hat of Mad Prince Ludwig. I gasped audibly. I always do. If you gasp any other way, it's not really a gasp. Of course, like any hat fan, I had heard of the cuckoo hat of Mad Prince Ludwig. Heir to the throne of Switzerland, Ludwig had commissioned this as a joint work between Leonardo da Vinci and Charles Darwin. (laughs) To remind him of the clocks of his homeland, while simultaneously warning strangers of his sometimes fragile mental state. I shall keep it, of course, in the vault. Continued Mrs. Mulligan. Protected by all the normal security measures. Ah, the floodlights and alarms. Yes, all the normal security measures. And the fingerprint-controlled vault. Yes, as I say, all of the normal security... The voice-controlled security cameras. Again, that comes under all of the the normal... And the wolf, who hasn't been fed for five weeks. Yeah, all of the normal security measures that we both already know about. All right. (laughs) But I also want you there, Finnamore, in the vault itself, eyes peeled for potential hat-nappers. It will be an honour. Any questions? Uh, Yes, we actually make hats here, don't we? So why would we take delivery of an existing hat, which has already been... I wasn't talking to you, Fenimore. I was talking to the voice-controlled security cameras. Any questions, cameras? No questions. I began my vigil, and I had not long to wait. The third night after the arrival of the precious hat, I was awoken in the small hours by the noise of the great steel doors of the vault stealthily opening and a ragtag assembly of improbably handsome crooks pouring in. (laughs) Two of them, for some reason, carrying an armchair and one a a bottle of port. At once, I leapt for the panic button, but their leader forestalled me. Plenty of time to ring that in a moment, Finnamore. He drawled. But first, we have one question for you. Think very carefully before you answer. Here it is. Do you know any stories? (laughs) Well, since he asked me for a story, it so happened I did know one or two, and so I settled into the armchair and began to narrate. Four hours later, the gang had finished drilling into the safe and removing Prince Ludwig's hat, and I had very nearly finished my introductory remarks. Seeing that they intended to leave before the end, though, I reluctantly broke off. Now then, if you really must go, I fear I will have to ring that panic button, said I, rising to my feet or attempting to. But some strange force kept me attached firmly to the chair. 
Sorry about that, Finnamore. Smirked the leader. That's a little thing we call a flypaper combined with a jackanory. <laughs> Look here, I, I cried, struggling vainly to free myself. Uh, what about all the other security? The door to the vault, for instance, can only be opened with the fingerprint of Mrs Mulligan herself. We know, so we went and got it, didn't we? Spoke up one of the gang. Me and the boys lit round and pulled the old sticky fishbowl routine. Here you go, lady. One piranha. Here's the money and something for it yourself. Oh, very good of you. Right, give us back the piranha. I see. But what about the floodlights and alarms? Ah, well, that was your department, wasn't it, Maddie? That's right. I just went to the bar next door and found some guys to pull a Mary Poppins on. She asked if they switch off the screen and when they turned her down She snuck down to their fuse box and she blacked out half the town <laughs> but, but, but what about the wolf that hasn't been fed for five weeks? The wolf's dead, Finnamore. Oh, dead? No, why? Well, it hasn't been fed for five weeks <laughs> Oh yeah, what, what you have there is a wolf skeleton being prodded by an electronic stick. <laughs> I mean, as modern art, it's a provocative statement. <laughs> yeah, you made your point. In any case, you'll never get away with it, you know. The security cameras have their own generator and can only be controlled by Mrs Mulligan's voice. Isn't that right, cameras? Voice not recognised. See? Ah. Yes, that was you two, wasn't it, boys? Certainly was. We did the old, that's what she said, play the tape. And now we need to link it with the name uh, Paul, uh, uh, what, what was it? McCartney. Oh, yes, again, that's a terrible name. No images. Let's change it to um, Paul Memory. Why Paul Memory? All memory wiped. <laughs> well, this has been fun, but we'd best be off. Don't want to keep our Hamiltons waiting. Oh, what? I'll explain in the car. <laughs> and off they went, leaving me... Stuck helplessly in my chair to think matters over. It was a bad business, but perhaps there was a silver lining. At least no one would suspect me of having stolen Prince Ludwig's hat. And of course I hadn't. That would be ridiculous. Although, I had perhaps given others the idea. This is strictly between you and I, Finnamore, but Mulligans is about to play host to the most valuable hat ever made. A couple of months ago, I asked Johnny Bigmouth if he had any tip-offs. Well, he just got back to me. Since you ask me if I have any tip-off. <laughs> yes, my share of the profits would be very satisfactory. If, of course, there were any profits to share. After all, with all the security footage wiped, there would be no evidence left if someone with privileged access to the vault had earlier managed to swap the hat for a perfect replica. Uh, excuse me, do you mind if I get this? Hello, Wittgenstein's patisserie. Ah, uh, hello. You can make a cake look like almost anything. <laughs> so, in answer to your rather abrupt, but on the other hand, pleasingly melodious question, that is where I got this hat. <laughs> Souvenir programme was written and performed by John Finnamore with Margaret Caborn Smith, Simon Kane, Laurie Lewin, and Carrie Quinlan. Original music was written by Susanna Pierce and performed by Susanna Pierce and Sally Stairs. The producer was Ed Morris and it was a BBC Studios production. For more information about the BBC's website, just listen to BBC Radio. We bang on about it constantly. <laughs>